You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. And we are back. Our band, the Menzingers, have announced a spring tour with Oso Oso and Sincere Engineer, and the tickets are officially on sale. If you're in the U.S. or Canada, there's a pretty damn good chance we'll be swinging through near you sometime between April and May of 2022. I am very excited about today's guest, Marissa DeBees of Mannequin Pussy. We were on tour with Mannequin Pussy right before the world pumped the brakes back in early 2020. And since then, we've both been very fortunate enough to dive back into touring. Marissa is an accomplished songwriter, performer, and visual artist, having directed five music videos to date. I find her work very inspiring. For you Philly kids, Mannequin Pussy are playing at Franklin Music Hall at the Electric Factory on New Year's Eve. I'm sure it's going to be fucking awesome. Now, on to my conversation today with Marissa. All right. Hey, thank you so much for joining me. Yeah. I'm so stoked for this. Um, I want to kick it off. I have to ask you, you told me on Instagram one time when I had posted something, can you tell me about what you guys saw in the deserts of the Northwest? The deserts? I got the, the location right. Of the Northwest. Well, not the deserts of the Northwest. Okay. It was like a mountainous valley. You're talking about the UFO. Yep. Now yep. called the UAPs, now right? Now called UAPs, yeah. Yeah. A UAP I saw. Amazing. Can you tell me the story? Yeah. I, uh, I think it was like 2010 and I was on a road trip from Colorado with a few friends to go drive to the Pacific Northwest and we were driving through Idaho and this was like back when we were like young and had stamina. So we did like a trip from Colorado to Seattle, like without stopping. So you're just like, <laughs> now that you're not stopping. You're like excited. About <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. You're like, so free. Hell yeah. We're going to be in the car for 18 hours driving. Like, <laughs> let's go. Hell yeah. Um, so it's like very late at night driving through somewhere in, in Idaho and out of nowhere, this huge bright light just appears in the sky and then immediately starts zooming across the sky. You just made a, a signal with your hands that was like diagonal zag. So it was like making hard angle turns. Yes, exactly. Damn. Hard diagonal turns in the sky. Then... It separated into three smaller lights. Jesus. That then also did their diagonal. What do we just call that? A zigzag. A zigzag. Yeah. Did their diagonal zigzag things, and then it all came together again as one light and disappeared. Jesus. Yeah. That's inc- that's an incredible story. That's even more intense than I thought it was going to be. Yeah. It's like, it, like I, when I say I was something else, or so, there's some technology out there that we definitely do not know about. Wow. Jesus. Uh, what was like, were there a lot of other cars on the road? Was it just No, like, I mean, it wasn't, it was like late and probably like two in the morning or something. Yeah. So a two in the morning road in Idaho. Damn. Wow. I uh, actually remember driving through Idaho at one point and, um, you know, just complete speculation, but there was a, there's only so many giant interstates in Idaho, I guess, but there was a gas station where we stopped and there had been sightings near there. So they had this whole makeshift little things set up at the by the cash register that was like postcards and like books written by people in the community, you know, like self-published Also books. in Idaho. Yeah, also in Idaho. Oh. Damn. But that's wild. That's crazy. That is all the hallmarks. You have something that had se- had separated and then reconvened and then the big thing moving fast and taking right angle turns. Like that's, that's so much better than a lot of, you know, UFO stories I've heard from people where they're like, yeah, it just, 
it slowly came over the mountain and then it slowly <laughs> went away. And I was like, well, helicopters do that and drones and shit. Yeah, this so. was like fast and curious and like technology I'd never seen move in the sky like Jesus. that. Jesus, were you guys freaking out? Um, I think I was and my friends were like, whoa, that's weird. And I was like, you guys, this is like... <laughs> This warrants like such much more like excitement yeah. than oh that's weird. Totally, the the ultimate question answered. That's or, or potentially. I wish I knew where in Idaho this was. This was like before I had an iPhone, or most people had iPhones. Sure. Yeah. So not only were we driving through the night, we were doing it with like MapQuest uh, map direction. And little, and <laughs> yeah, like and maps. The, the flashlight inside, or the the dome light in the car. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I remember when we were first touring, we would print out the MapQuest directions, or first going on road trips, you'd print them out and then. You know, just roll around with no GPS. It was wild. We'd stick our head out the window and listen for music and be like, are we close uh, to the house party or wherever we're going? Oh. Yeah. That would happen. In, maybe that was more of a Pennsylvania Woods thing. Yeah. So we'd be like, hey, do you want to play, you know, Tunkhannock somewhere like an hour outside <laughs> of where we were from? He'd be like, yeah, sure. And then eventually you just hear like guitars and drums. and Oh, or you stop at the gas station and be like, hey. Or they would like tie a red balloon, birthday party style, like out on the road. Oh, that's smart. Uh, so... Not to get too heady from it, but you're out traveling all those times, and you get to travel so much now playing music. Um, how do you think traveling informs you creatively? Oh, I think it presents more of a challenge creatively. Wow, okay. Yeah. I think, I think being in constant motion sometimes is uh, not exactly entwined with being creative. Wow, that's a really good point. Yeah. That's uh, for us. I know that we always try to write on tour, and sometimes we write, but a lot of times, you know, you don't really write that much because you're like, okay, well, I have an hour long window before you know sound checking or whatever where I can do this. But yeah, I'm I'm impressed so by chaos. people who say that they are able to write on tour because I just like cannot imagine. But I mean, I've I've come up with like little maybe like a riff during a sound check, or I've started to think. You know, I have like voice memos of like melody ideas and things sure. like that. Yeah, yeah. Um. This past tour, I like really wanted to write on. I was definitely feeling like, oh man, I gotta write a song. Yeah. But there's just so much shit so much. going on. It and there's so much it becomes so socially overwhelming, especially in a situation like what you guys just did. You, which you know, could get into was a wildly uh, roller coaster of a tour. Um, <laughs> but the you know, as you're back to touring after not being able to for so long, there's so many. I don't want to call them social responsibilities, but there's just so much. So many people that you haven't seen that have moved from where you're from or that you met and that you, you know, you want to see them that day. Or you have you know, interviews and things like that. It always ends up rolling in and making it hard for it. I always watch YouTube videos of like the producers and stuff that will have something set up like in a hotel room or in the van or on a bus or something. I'm always like, damn, that in theory seems right. But every time I try to do it, I spend more time setting up than. than yeah, exactly. Like any free time I have, I would like to try to sleep. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah, that's, that's pretty so much like how point. I would especially on this last door because like I also busted my ankle so I wasn't able to do the main thing I like to do on tour when I have like a moment to myself which is just go for a walk around the venue yeah you know those those like few steps you get oh totally um feel great but then after I like busted my ankle I wasn't able to do that so I was like all right well I guess I'll just try to sleep yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not trying to write songs yeah uh, I always thought wanted to write songs because I always feel like it's the ultimate, um, like environmental uh, framework. Because you're like, what I mean by that is you're playing shows every day, so you're like this is where the songs are going to end up. 
So I see like what it's going to be like. I can see what people like at certain moments of different songs and stuff like that. I'm like, this is where the end is, but I can never really break from that. Do you workshop songs on tours sometimes that aren't out yet? Um, we have in the past, but we've got, we've actually had like a lot of friction within ourselves, whether we were like, cause right when we were really into some bands like against me and stuff that would play new songs on tour all the time. And then we would immediately be just hunting down the YouTube video of it or hunting down like whatever post on a message Oh, that's board. always so fun. Yeah. It, and it would be a, like a bad quality thing. So we're always like, we don't, well, we don't want to play it shitty and have a cell phone recording and do that. But we've gotten into uh, doing it more often, but not, we don't really actually workshop them like a. I think a lot of other musicians and other genres and stuff would. We played Drunk 2 for years live, and people would like ask about that song. They're like, <laughs> I can't find this song. And I'm like, it's coming. Yeah. That's, you like almost created it into like a legendary status kind of thing where people saw you enough times it would get stuck in their head and they'd be looking for it and be like, can't Damn, find it anywhere. It's not there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hell yeah. So I wanted to shift a bit into your, your visual style. Uh, I know you've directed some music videos, uh, one for Control, one for Perfect, and other videos as well. Uh, you described your visual style at an interview I was reading as hyper-realist fantasy, which I really liked. <laughs> uh, I wanted to ask about that and then ask a bit, uh, some nerdier questions about what it's like to direct. So that's like, um, specifically, like, how do you collaborate in that fashion as compared to music? Like, how do you create, you're like directing a team, essentially, right? Yeah, which I think is very similar to being in a band. Because in a band, what you have are, you know, a group of individuals who are all working together with different talents to chase a vision or a sound. True. And I think that translates really well into the film space where you have this idea and your job is to communicate it to everyone who's then able to do things that you aren't to make it the greatest it can possibly be. Wow. So you, you touched on something there that you said uh, that I wanted to focus on. You said you have uh, an idea so that you do come at it with like a top down kind of notion of where you want it to go. So you have like, yeah, not like creating a culture or coming up with like a rule or something, a vision you'd say. Yeah. Uh, so you have that in mind and then you're like, okay, well who can help me bring that to life? Yeah, essentially? exactly. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. I've always uh, admired that and found it like, uh, I got really into photography a couple of years ago. And I've always wanted to kind of move more into a video space, but I've always found the whole thing so intimidating. It's a lot more expensive. <laughs> yeah. It's Christ. very expensive. Yeah. And it also takes a lot of people to pull off. Yeah. Uh, but it's, I think I've described in the past as it's so rewarding when you pull off something that you have only been able to see in your mind and then you see it play out for you. And when you fall short of that, it's like a learning experience where you're like, okay, like this is definitely what I should do different. And I've had that experience now with like a few different videos. Cause I think now I've just finished my fifth one. No shit. That's awesome. Um, and now that I have like this little, you know, this is like a new thing for me is directing, but it's always something that's like, I would love to do that. Yeah, I find it uh, really exciting and really interesting as well. It's like uh, that you can take that vision with something so complicated. For me, a song, you can hum a melody and then, well, maybe it's because we did it for so long and so many years. You're like, okay, well, I know what the drums are probably going to end up like. I know like where we're going to go with this or whatever, but it always seems to me like in a, in a music video or any other visual uh, you know, video collaborative effort, you're like, okay, well, this can go so many ways. You can focus in on like even something that somebody would be wearing and then realize that you can't cure that or you can't like you know you do have to be flexible sometimes and like 
how specifically you see things and let them sometimes be like, okay, well, what I thought of was actually unattainable. But I mean, songs are, are stories a lot of times. Uh-huh. And uh, a music video, if it has a narrative, is a story. So it's like the same, I kind of like, in some ways, maybe approach songwriting. Uh, no, it is different. But like for Drunk 2, for instance, for that video, it was like, okay, there's this young woman and she is so heartbroken and we just see her going to this bar every single night and she's walking through a tunnel of love, our fantasy element where it's like we're playing with the realism of that, but inflating it to this point where like things are happening where you're like, is this happening in her head? And she's like romanticizing these situations she's in or is this just like what this world is? And that is fun to play with where yeah, you can I like love that. that opens, that gives you a guideline, uh, but also keeps it really wide open. Yeah. We'll do what you want to do. Being able to play with your world. I think that's what is so fun about film. Yeah. And just like any, is you can m- make the world a little bit more beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> I wish every yeah. bar I walked into had like a tunnel of love in it. <laughs> <laughs> right. Oh Yeah. Uh, so I got to ask where the genesis for a lot of that was. Were you so? Did you start out primarily as a musician? Were you like a theater kid? Did you? Uh... I was not a theater kid. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> that gets rid of all the jokes. <laughs> but uh, you know, were you into photography or cinematography, or did you learn anything in school? Or... I did try out for a play when I was in high school, but I did not get in. Damn. Um, little did they. <laughs> <laughs> I did not get in. I remember my audition being terrible. Though I would do that thing, I I don't actually really want to think about it too much. Uh, but I did take photography for a long time. I was always really interested in like film, and I used to take photos like constantly. Yeah, and just kind of dropped off with it. Pretty much as soon as I started playing in a band, like the years I probably should have been documenting the most. I. <laughs> That's what uh, got me into photography. An aunt of mine was like, "Hey, you go to Europe and what, let me see some pictures." And She's right. Like, oh, every one of them is like in a backstage of like a wet German venue. Uh, that's it. That's all I got to show you. I went to Cologne. They have the enormous dome cathedral built over a span of like 400 years, and I took a picture of like a half drink lager beer or something. You know, ah oh. like, oh, shit. Well, I, get, I should probably learn this. My high school was pretty cool, though. They had a dark room. So I learned like dark room photography uh, as a teenager. Oh, that's very cool. And so I got really into, I got like really into like the process of that and like the chemicals. And I think it also maybe taught me a little bit of patience for something. Yeah. You know, where you're like, you're going to have to wait. Totally. And you're going to have, you're going to take this image, but then you're going to have to do all this other work to see it to its final form. Yeah, I'm actually really glad you brought up that patience part of film photography. So when I got into photography, it was all digital. I was like, film, why would I do that? It's expensive. You only get one shot. You can't see it in the moment. And then after a couple years now, I love taking film pictures because of the fact that you're 10 times more intentional with the picture that you take. You're like, okay, well, I can do... So there's like a drive setting, you know, on uh, digital cameras. You can be like, take a million pictures. But the film one, you're like, no one pick it's got to be perfect and then you got to wait for it and it's like that delayed gratification that comes and you're like yes or oftentimes in my case you're like fuck there's my fingers in front of it or uh you know it's too it's underexposed that kind of thing but seeing the process of it and realizing what's happening too is pretty cool you have a, I mean i've never developed a film before but it's, a, it's it's i understand it's a photosensitive chemicals mm-hmm. that get exposed very quickly and then you use other chemicals to like invert it 
bring it out to like a new print it on another sheet yeah no you usually you have like a like basically like a microfiche looking like microscope almost thing and you like put your negative onto it and then you set up your paper and then depending on how long you expose the light onto it and then you immediately put it into like a a chemical bath wow that then like sets what it was and then you do that and then you there's like another chemical bath yeah and then there's another one and then you rinse it's been and a if lo- you took a picture of a ghost all the things that are hanging up catch on fire <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> the room burns around you yeah we used to uh do a screen printing on our own we had like a little side business back before we moved to philly a long time ago and you had to expose the so when you're getting screen printed a t-shirt um for anybody who doesn't know a t-shirt that's screen printed each color will have its own screen and they kind of just pull ink over the um the negative of it and then the ink falls through but you have to expose those screens so you like put something in front of it it's like it seems like a very rudimentary uh photography but the biggest takeaway for that for me was uh people on internet forums said to do the pirate trick which the reason why pirates would wear an eye patch was so that you put it over one eye and uh it got that eye became um used to nighttime it like adjusted to the darkness so that you can work on the top of the ship and then switch down to the bottom of the ship and you just switch your eye patch over what? and you're able to see in the dark. I was like, damn. So we tried doing that. Is that for real? Yeah. Yeah. Pretty wild. Never really worked. It was just more fun than anything. But <laughs> uh, I wanted to ask you a bit about Mayor of Easttown, which was that HBO show that you got, your music was featured in. Uh, so Beth and my fiance, we were talking about before, she grew up in Delco. Oh, and, hell yeah. Uh, yeah. We would spend, Shout out to Delco. Hell yeah. I actually lived there as a baby for a while. Um, shout out to Prospect Park that I've been back to like one time but we would spend uh, every Christmas Eve at our uncle's house in Clifton Heights with he's a contractor and it was like a row home in Clifton Heights all of their contractor friends and their families would like come in and out all night and it was such a Delco experience and uh, you know just the show nailed it so hard and it was so awesome how, how did you guys uh, how did that come about? It came about um, well as as we all know, they were filming it in Philly and in Delco, mm-hmm. so it, it was not on an LA soundstage. Everyone, they they really filmed it here. Hell yeah! Um, and a friend of mine, uh, Allie Pierce, was working in the costume department on an early, uh, uh, like early pre production days. Cool. And uh, the creator of the show, Brad Englesby, was in a meeting with her and one of the other costumers talking about the character of Siobhan and the bands and yeah. things like that. And he was like, he was like, these are kind of my breath of influences for like what her band would sound like. Yeah. And then based on that, Allie was like, oh, you should listen to Manigan Pussy. Like they're great and they're local. And then Brad Inglesby went and listened to us and to quote, him he said he fell in love with us that's fucking awesome and it was like i can't hear anything else as like siobhan's band like what i would want her band to sound like wow that's um, amazing so, so yeah it was it was brad Englesby. so fucking cool <laughs> like just to skip over all that wasn't some you know the music designer or something that was like from philly or something it was like the legit so brad went to um i think his name is gabe helfner he was a music supervisor on the show um, he went to him and was like, I found the band. I want them to sound like, like now what do we do? Do we have to like hire a band to make songs that kind of sound like theirs? Or do we find a band that kind of sounds like them? And Gabe was like, well, we could just ask them <laughs> if, if yeah. they would want to like, you know, work with us to 
have their music be in the show. Amazing. And then they they did, and we were obviously we were like, yeah. hell yeah, exactly. that sounds cool. Fuck yeah. What does uh, that process look like when it gets to that point? Do you have to? All right, so here's a question that I wanted to ask. I don't know if I'm completely crazy or if any if you've ever noticed this or anybody else ever noticed this, but when listening to songs I'm extremely familiar with, sometimes when they're on TV shows, they have they're like mixed differently. Oh yeah. Sometimes they'll be different instruments are much more prominent than others. Sometimes they sound a lot better. Sometimes they even chop up the song to make certain parts longer. No shit. So is that what went on with you guys? Like no, with ours anything? with ours they completely re-recorded them because wow, they didn't okay. they 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 were supposed to be high schoolers. Oh. So they wanted they basically wanted it to sound like <laughs> Mannequin Pussy, like that song was played by a bunch of high schoolers. Wow. And st- like stripped down. And then the actress, Anjali Rice, went to Will Yip and recorded her vocals for those songs and then like sang my part. So it was her voice. That's so fucking cool. Yeah. That's really awesome. We yeah, they like really uh, kept it in. I mean, like just Will. Yeah. Who obviously you and I both are, you know. Yeah. He he was part of this experience too. He worked on Mary V's Town. Totally. So we knew about that a little bit. That's how we first heard about it was because we were getting ready to shoot the live stream that we did at Studio Four in June of uh, 2020. And he had mentioned it. He was like, he just like, oh, he did it in a very fantastically Will way too. He just like name dropped Kate Winslet. And we were like, really? You're just going to name drop the Titanic lady and like, you, know, you got to give a little bit more context. And uh, he, you know, told us a little bit about it and how it was and stuff. And it sounded really cool. Brad Inglesby reached out to me again after our van was stolen to. Oh my God. Just say that he heard about it and he was so sorry. Damn, so, that's amazing. Seriously, stand up dude. Wow. He was also Pat Graham's fourth grade computer science teacher. <laughs> he used to teach at um, like St. Patrick's in Malvern. No shit. Yeah. Wow. So. That's wild. Yeah. It's full lineage. <laughs> yeah, that's like, <laughs> I joked with him that he was like Pennsylvania's very own six degrees of Kevin Bacon now. He, yeah, he definitely is now. I mean, goddamn. Yeah, that was so cool that you guys got to be a part of that. And if anybody listening has not seen the series, it's fantastic. It's so good. Yeah. It's also wildly accurate. I always feel like uh, sometimes when you see a show about a touring band or, you know, there's things in like The Office where they talk about Scranton and shit where I grew up, uh, that you're like, okay, you know, we don't have palm trees. Or, okay, I get it. You're talking about being a touring band. You think that's what it's like. But this actually did seem, you know, it did seem so wildly uh, accurate to that kind of living in Delco. Wow. Yeah. I mean, I have nothing bad to say about that show. I thought it was so good. Yeah, it was It was like, I definitely started watching it immediately because our music was in it. It was probably the type of thing I would have watched like a few months down the line after everyone told me sure, it was so yeah, good. Yeah. But I'm so happy that I got to like watch it unfold week after week. Like that was a small light during like what was still kind of quarantine days. Yeah, totally. Of like just having something to look forward to every week. <laughs> Yeah, something you could do at your house that wasn't soul crushing. Yeah, uh, how much forward kind of? So when you were watching the show, did you had no idea whether it was about to come? You know, whether the scene was coming up or. Yeah, uh, I mean, when you get syncs and and things like that, like they usually send you like a a sheet that says that describes the action that's going on and like how long it lasts for. But it definitely like was like I watched it with subtitles and they put the lyrics of the song into the subtitles oh, so awesome. i was getting i like got to watch like kate winslet looking surly as mayor as like <laughs> words that i've written like pop up over the screen I was so like, awesome 
That felt really nice. Wild journey. <laughs> uh, so just real quick, you mentioned you watched it with subtitles. Are you one of the people who watches everything with subtitles? Um, no, it depends on how it's mixed. Okay. And where it's from. Uh, sure. Yeah, obviously. Yeah. I'm like, I don't have an ear for like British. Oh, ah, okay. Like if I watch anything from Britain, I also have like no English blood in my body. So I think that's maybe why <laughs> I cannot understand for the life of me. So I, I'll, if it's British, I need subtitles. Fair enough. Hell yeah. Yeah. A friend of our, <laughs> a really close friend, I asked because a really close friend of mine watches, uh, they watch everything with subtitles on and somehow our HBO Max on the you know, Apple TV or whatever, got stuck to default subtitles. Oh. So it's always on, and I kind of like it. Oh, you do like, like it? Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. I see, in, a, contextualize in a director way, I sometimes don't like it because, one, it kind of, like, messes up the frame a little bit. Yeah. And I like to focus more on the... It's really almost like point. the whole thing. I feel like my eye line is only drawn to the words rather than like the actions and the sets in a little bit. Yeah, totally. So that's why I try to like switch it up depending on what I'm watching. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Back that. I don't think it overstates things to say that the Beatles were the greatest gift to entertainment and culture of our time. A secular religion, if you will with their universal appeal and demonstrable impact on people's lives. I'm Robert Rodriguez, host of Something About the Beatles. With every episode, I speak with historians, musicians, artists, and Beatle witnesses, all in the service of fresh insights into the most joyous cultural entity the world has ever known. I hope you'll join me and listen to Something About the Beatles, now on Evergreen and wherever you get your podcasts. Um, so speaking of Delco and moving around stuff, you guys took the journey. What well, two questions. First one is, uh, how did you meet our mutual friend bear? How did so I meet bear? Yeah. How'd you meet bear? I've known, uh, I've known the man for a very long time. I met bear in, I think 2013. Um, I think so. Yeah. That seems right to me. 2013. Yeah. And um, he asked Mannequin Pussy to play his annual 420 show. And, but he did not just ask in like a normal way <laughs> where someone like sends you a, um, you know, like a, a small email. Yeah, he wrote an email that was like two paragraphs. Hell yeah. Promised to make us cookies <laughs> if we played and was just so like sweet. That's so amazing. we were like, of course we need to play this. He never did make the cookies. Ah, um, but yeah, that was like the the first time we met Bear. And I feel like pretty shortly after that, he started playing with us. Amazing. Yeah. I love that. That's a great story. Um, we knew Bear from the, he was, we always thought like a Strasburg kid. So he like ran with the whole <laughs> Strasburg crew and stuff that we kind of knew before we moved down here. But then when we moved down here, um, Keith Yasko from the Holy Mess and his wife, Chelsea, used to have parties like every Sunday. And it was like a that's cool. Strasburg meets Philly kind of like social almost to a, to to an extent. Got pretty crazy towards the end, and then and, and Chelsea put the kibosh on it, I believe. But the <laughs> uh, that's what we, where we first started hanging out. I mean, a party every week is like a lot for the household. Yeah, it is. Even if you're like 23, still <laughs> <laughs> still got to be a bit much, especially when the word got out, and then it eventually became like 
oh, I'm, I do this every day anyway. I can go here and do this. Yeah. That kind of thing. But it was always amazing um, to see him and them. I remember going with Bear to see <laughs> the pre, or, sorry, the premiere of Interstellar when it came out. We went to... Him and I met up, went to uh, the Franklin Institute to see it in IMAX. What is Interstellar? Interstellar is the Christopher Nolan movie with Matthew McConaughey. Um, it's about... It's actually Will's favorite movie, I believe, which is pretty funny. Um, it's about... I have to see it. Yeah, you got to see it. I don't even know how I can say what it's about without kind of like ruining a little bit. Yeah, then don't tell me. All right, I won't tell you. Interstellar, though, sounds like something I'd be into. Yeah. It, I, I based think on the really name like, alone. Exactly. And the music is amazing as well. But we got too high. I remember going in and being like, oh my God, too high for this. And then it was amazing. It became one of my favorite movies. <laughs> but uh, so you guys, you guys took the move down to Philly. What did you uh, think of Philly when you got here? Uh, that it was everything I had been looking for. Yeah. Like everywhere else I lived were, I, not that I, I didn't really live in that many places. I lived in like Colorado where I like had a house venue kind of where we I didn't know that we used to have like house parties where, where kind of tell, can you tell me about that where in yeah in, in boulder colorado no shit so i lived there i went to school there and oh, then cool. i stayed a while after i graduated and like just you know worked and i graduated in the recession so i like yes yeah, had a job like washing dishes 40 exactly. hours a week um <laughs> while i like lived in this like creaky but pretty cool house with like you know five other people but yeah we used to have um house parties every month so we were on the every month okay. cycle, that, not the every not week. The every week. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, sure. It was definitely like busy and we were, you know, yeah. being young. But yeah, we used to have like bands play in our kitchen. Amazing. And then a little bit through that, I was like, oh, playing music. Like I couldn't, I, like I don't just have to be a fan of music. Like I could, pl- I could play music too, maybe. That's one of my favorite things uh, about this scene in particular. And I know that it breaches over into all other kinds of scenes. And to put a name on it is hard in itself. But the fact of so many people would be exposed to bands and music in a way that became empowering because you're like, oh, I could do this too. Totally. And did it and look at you now. You know, like just from being in that house where people were passing through. And I'm sure, did you meet a lot of people that you ended up seeing later in life? Like yes. Connections I mean, all my like, that's why I moved to Philly because the very first tour I went on, I met um, Rachel Gagliardi and Nicole Snyder from Slut Ever. Whoa. And we just like, immediately became close and i had been living in i lived in new york city for like one year Mm -hmm. it was a city that i was born in and then like my family lives like an hour outside of it so it was like the closest to home and then i had to live home for a little bit in my early 20s too sure and then i wasn't really sure i was going to move and then nicole and rachel this was what fucking year was this this was almost like nine years ago now um but yeah i was like okay yeah philly hell yeah and it was just the i was like oh man a lot of people here are interested in music and there's a very vibrant like house show scene and people want to book us and you know everyone i meet is like crazy in a fun way and yeah (laughs) crazy in a fun way way yeah and i was just like this is it this is home yeah totally i often talk about how i think it was a bit of a perfect storm in those years between like 2008 2000 and 2013 or whatever where the economy as you'd mentioned you got a job washing dishes because everything fucking went to shit yeah uh but in philly was like okay we could still afford to live in a major city you know at the time it was the fifth largest city uh in the country i think we just got passed out by phoenix again but I don't yeah because it's like 50 cities but uh yeah so there was you could 
have things like house venues and you had a lot of things going, people were like, okay, well, I have a shift. Most of the jobs I'd gotten back then were like, hey, I'm going on tour. Can you just take my job? And it was like a complete revolving door of that kind of stuff. Yeah. So Philly kind of created a, a really good, perfect storm for that kind of thing. Yeah. I was able to survive in Philly while I slowly made music my full-time thing. <laughs> <laughs> when did you uh, realize that music was going to be going to be it? Did it kind of cuz I feel like you had a lot of different about about 6 months before the pandemic started. <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> and then I had the pandemic. And then, you know, obviously you and I both have been able to go back on on tour and then going yeah. back on tour I was like, "Oh, this is real. This is Hell yeah. Tight. <laughs> so we talked a bit about it before uh, we started the podcast, but the tour that you guys did uh, and the tour that we did, people seem to be extremely hungry and emotional for live music again. It's yeah. Great. There's a lot of people like crying and super excited. And yeah, it's been, it's been pretty wild. I feel so lucky that we were able to tour at this, like, this might be too much of a grandiose statement but at this time in human history for real though <laughs> no for real. like getting to be like one of the few bands that got to go back out on tour during this time was a huge blessing absolutely yeah one that uh isn't normally i think would be easy to be taken granted sorry uh taken for granted but it's really not after taking all that time off and seeing how other bands kind of just broke up or weren't able to make it happen or like life yeah changed and people reprioritized being able to go back out now is pretty pretty fucking awesome. Yeah, and people like wanting to come see you. Yeah. And you're like, shows are selling out. Yeah. And you're like, oh shit. <laughs> like exactly. this is so because th- this was only like our second ever headlining tour. No shit. Yeah. Okay. We've been I mean like we did like DIY shit for yeah, sure. Yeah, you yeah. know, no, no. But like this was like the second official like packaged, like uh Yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. Cool. Um and it went both better the joke. I made earlier before we started recording was the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. <laughs> yeah, that's true. And uh, d- uh, you know, if anybody is listening, they've been following your guys' saga, which has been every band's nightmare for sure. Uh, where are you guys standing with it? It's like uh, you know. First, I have to say I'm very sorry, and I uh, you know feel terrible that this happened to you guys and can relate to it in a way of like i can't imagine that happening it's so fucking devastating to have all of your fucking shit stolen um and you're kind of just building back now yeah i really wouldn't wish it on anyone yeah and like yeah (laughs) yeah maybe i should think like a little bit longer (laughs) well i used to have this terrible joke because one one time this one band i won't say who they are but they severely went over their time slot in a music festival worst faux pas at a festival even that's at a music festival i can i can excuse a little show over the whatever yeah but this was like Four in the morning at Primavera. I'll I'll give that much detail. I'll give that much detail that they <laughs> went like the twenty time. minutes over. Twenty minutes. Which Maybe it was up. ten and it felt like twenty, but it was like beyond and yeah. it was for this like fucking like self jacking off single note, like <laughs> literally like a one note, like bang, bang, and I hated it. A few years later, uh I see that band got all their stuff stolen. Damn. And my first thought was that's what you get for going over your <laughs> festival time. A horrible thought to have. A horrible thought to have. It, yeah. And I now feel so ashamed of that. 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but well, yeah, I mean, as a festival, they didn't just fuck over, you know, the band playing after them. They potentially fucked over. Yeah, the whole fucking thing. Dozens of bands, hundreds. Well, of people actually, working. it was the last. It was like four in the morning. Four we were morning. like the end one. Well, you said Primavera. That's the Spanish festival, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that's yeah, the Spanish festival. Man. So it was like four in the morning at Primavera, but there's still like thousands of people out. Yeah, it's one <laughs> it's, of the largest festivals in the world. It's a, it's the coolest festival I've ever been lucky to play. That's awesome. But yeah, so we got all of our stuff stolen. Um, to my knowledge, I don't think we ever went over our set time at a festival. <laughs> so some things you have no... So, yeah, some things you don't have control over. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, uh, that sucks. And I don't have any... I can't even say like, oh, glad it worked out for you guys because it didn't. Because it didn't. It's yeah. still being worked out. It's still a nightmare. And that's what I didn't expect. I didn't expect... One, I didn't expect how emotionally I was going to feel about it. Sure. And then two... I didn't I didn't think that it would be like an up and down. Like some days I'm fine and some days I'm like yeah. very sad and angry. God damn it. And I would say all of MP is like that. Yeah. A crisis really shows who people really are. And I have to say we are a very like strong and resilient group of people. Hell yeah. I mean, at least you could take that from it for sure. And it all, I mean, like people were as kind as could possibly be for a nightmare thing happening like i saw the gofundme mm-hmm. it was like wild that people would care that much about us losing our instruments you yeah. know totally that that's like a, a definitely a silver lining you know to use that expression um the only similar thing that happened to us we got robbed one time it, well we got robbed a million times but now not all of our shit was never taken but all of our personal stuff got robbed in england Ooh. one time and we did the same thing we set up uh, I don't I don't know if GoFundMe was around at that point. It was like Kickstarter. Yeah, I think we just put out like a PayPal address or something. Oh, okay. But it was, you know, we were crying looking at the names on it because it was like, oh, this person whom we haven't spoken with in 7 years or however long our band had been around at that time, uh donated to us and was like still cared and stuff and just to see the complete outpouring was really uh you know, really helpful at that time. Yeah. I finally kind of like went through the list a little bit. I mean, it was like a thousand people. So I was like, Damn. oh, fuck. That's amazing. In like less than 12 hours. Wow. We went to go see Halloween Kills. And when we came out, <laughs> we had like went over our our goal. So so now it's like the we have to start. I have finally accepted that probably our stuff is not coming back soon. Yeah. So it is. we have to buy new things. So I've been like slowly like i went to i've been going to russo's music a lot yeah and like going for i mean it's like i'm buying like boring shit too i'm like getting a pedal board <laughs> just like i need zip ties and a voodoo power supply and a patch cable and a patch cable yeah. and a tuner oh god <laughs> <laughs> man so um well, because there was a big saga of somebody that went to go see Halloween Kills. And I'm never going to see the movie, I don't think. But uh, how, how was that, at least? It was fun. Nice. Bear was laughing a lot. Yeah. We really kept each other's spirits high during that time. We, like, very, like... Which, like, as you said, is a big testament to who you guys are uh, as friends and as a band. Like, you know, some people would just... We communally it. grieved. Like, we, like, cried together, but also at different times... We went manic, I think, because this was also the last week of being on the road for seven weeks. Jesus Christ. We've never done a seven-week tour. That's so We long. were away for seven weeks, but it was like six weeks of shows. Okay. So we had like but- eight days off in LA. Oh, okay. No, sure. On, in like the very middle of the tour. 
which was kind of nice. I think I enjoyed that. Yeah. That having that rest. Totally. Um, still not home, but you're like, yeah, you're still, you're still not home. You're still, you're still traveling. Yeah. Um, to shift it a bit. I remember you showing us when we did that European tour together. Do you have a bunch of random AI generated bootleg merch? Wait, those websites that you were showing us? Oh yeah. (laughs) I haven't checked in on that in a while. Damn. Wonder if it exploded. Um, so what was the deal with it? What was it? It was those like, um, is it, what is it like bubble red or bubble rocket or rubble bubble? bubble? Red bubble. Red bubble. Yeah. Yeah. Red bubble. I remember you showing me too. I don't know what it is, but it's, I think it's just like some website where you can make anything. Like even if you don't have like just put art on the copyright to it, but you can also sell it. (laughs) So someone was, someone was selling like shower curtains and like bath rugs and bed sheets and like (laughs) pillowcases and koozies of like our artwork and designs and photos of us. The photos part that makes it take a little bit of a turn, a little, little personalized. Yeah, well, I mean, even, like for you don't fuck with our artists either, you know. Oh, like, of course. You know, yeah. we got that from them, and you now you're just yeah, totally. Now you're selling a shower curtain. Yeah, with, <laughs> with a original Dan Hughes <laughs> shit on it. You're gonna have to pay up for that. Did you guys order any? No, and I really regret that. Damn, I bet it's still there. Because we wanted to. That was like Kayleen's great idea was that we would like order a bunch of it and we would do like one of those unboxing vids. <laughs> That's such a good idea. Yeah. Back that. But it, it was very shortly after that tour, everything stopped. Ah, damn. That it, actually, yeah, that was our last tour. I remember specifically when I uh, it was in Liverpool on Valentine's Day. I'd read a. Uh, post by these this like economics blog called epsilon theory uh-huh. and they were like here this is why coronavirus is going to be a really big deal and up to that point we had seen like german press uk press u.s press everybody was like had different takes on it for us it was a hilarious joke at the time and then i read that article <laughs> and i remember texting everybody and being like actually i think this, they, they were using an analogy of um the u.s um and Viet Cong murder rates during the Vietnam War mm-hmm. and how the U.S. Uh, media had changed and inflated them or deflated them and was showing exactly what the Chinese government at the time was doing. So I was like, this is interesting. And I kept reading it and I was like, oh, man, this is this is really interesting. It was like early on when that doctor had posted like a selfie uh, of himself in the bed. He had like a, you know, a ventilator mask. On oh, it, yeah. Like iconic picture. And I remember texting everybody and being like, guys, I think this is going to be a big deal. And then. Uh, we were just like, okay, what are we going to get for dinner now? And I was like, you know, kind of over that. And it was a big deal. And it was a big deal. Yeah, because, I re- I, like, we started a tour right after that one, after we got home, like, 10, no, like, seven days later. Yeah, yeah, I remember that. And so being in Europe, starting to read about that, and then getting home, flying to L.A., and on that coast then being like, people being like, oh, what's, I don't know what's, I don't know what's, what's going, going on here? with this virus. And then we made it like two weeks into that tour. And it was before. like, okay, we're all going to go home as yep. fast as we can. As fast as we can. Yeah. That was a fucking weird one. But fuck that. <laughs> Hopefully it's going to be, I'm going to knock on wood. Hopefully it's ending. Um, so I got, I'm got. i in that same mode now. Yeah, like, totally. Fuck do what I got to do. Fuck that. I don't want to like Do what I got to do. I'll be safe. Yeah, I'll I'll I will make the sacrifices for touring. Oh fuck yeah, for sure. Actually, I wanted to ask you about that as well. It's like uh, I don't think people realize it's kind of 
Touring is different now. It's different now. And no one's in charge as well. Mm. So we're trying to figure out, you know, you're trying to figure out what to do and how to do it. And you're in charge. Yeah, you're in charge. Exactly. That's the, you're in charge. So you have to like, you know, whatever you decide goes. Certain venues have their own policies and certain states and cities have their own policies. Yeah. But when it comes to like being responsible, there's no guidebook released by the CDC for touring. There's no, <laughs> there's no OSHA. Well, there is an OSHA, but they don't really touch live music. But the yeah, so you kind of CDC's DIY ambassador. Yeah, exactly. I know we're not DIY anymore, but it's it's funnier when you say <laughs> so <laughs> like some kid shows up. I mean, but that's that's like septum piercing from CDC. I, I'm like, I can't imagine I, DIY touring must be even harder now. Yeah, that or they just slam really. We I can imagine what we would have done when we were DIY touring, uh, and it would probably either be kind of you know wing it or try the best that we can with the resources that we have or just go full bore the other direction and be like well i guess we're out here yeah we'll see how it goes everybody's vaccinated right like what are you gonna do check everybody's phone at uh tight house yeah exactly there's no like green room at the house show no exactly you know like you're able to that, that that's like the biggest change is like you're a lot more isolated from your audience and other people totally there's not even like like when we were talking about like seeing friends for the first time in a long time, like yeah, that was still depending on th- that last week after we got our stuff stolen. Uh-huh. I will admit, we got fucked up. Oh, I could have can't even imagine. <laughs> we were like, <laughs> I don't, I we 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 went out like to a bar. Nice. That like last week and just got absolutely shit faced. Yeah, how would you not? That's uh, yeah, like going and playing a show in front of hundreds of people. I never like, have drank before shows, like ever. I'm like one of those people. Oh, no shit. I do not drink before shows. That last week, I think every show I played, I was a little drunk. Damn, how was it? <laughs> um, I, <laughs> I mean, people seem to still be having a good time. They're still crying and stuff. <laughs> yeah, <there you> go. <laughs> um, it was. It kind of actually made it like a little bit fun. Yeah. And loose. And because also, at that point, we were borrowing everything from, like, Angel Dust. Oh, of course. So it's all, like... So even, like, when I, like, looked down, I was, like, I kind of need to, like, be drunk to... To get past the inhibition of, this is not mine. <laughs> yeah, like, exactly. This is not what I practiced. This exactly. is a whole new thing. Exactly. This is a whole new thing. Totally. We feel like... Uh, I feel like <laughs> p- drinking before playing can be uh, playing with fire a little bit. Sometimes it's really nice. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's... Not, but if you're, you know, sometimes a festival or something that's like real short, you're like, yeah, okay, it's cool. But there's been definitely times where the all four of us have at separate times drank too much before playing. One time I thanked a band that wasn't playing a show. That, was, uh, <laughs> that wasn't playing the show. That was uh, one. Uh, that one sticks out for me. But uh, I wanted to ask uh, a question about your guy's name, which I'm sure that you are Ugh. so excited to hear or that you haven't heard in 5,000 times. I'm so surprised that you're going to ask me about the name. <laughs> well, I figured I'd toss it up. I heard that Alexa, if you, the, the, oh. the AI used by Amazon, AI. if you said, hey, Alexa, play Mannequin Pussy, that it doesn't work. It just got fixed. Wow, okay. Or well, I say fixed, but it just got uncensored. Yeah. So now if you ask Alexa to play Mannequin Pussy, she says, playing songs by Mannequin Pussy. Nice. And for a long time, she started just bleeping us out. Or she wouldn't even play us. Like, you'd ask her to play us, and then it would just, like, shut down. It just couldn't handle the command. Wait, I kind of want to... I wonder if it's... My phone is closed. I kind of want to read a text I got from my mom. Because my mom is... um my mom <laughs> she really thinks we should change the name at this point and um so shout out to japanese breakfast who got nominated for two grammys incredible uh, I, 
so exciting. I was joking with a friend where I'm like, I feel like it's happening to me because I'm like so proud. <laughs> yeah, you know that yeah. like feeling of like, yes, I always believed in you. My mom sent me a text that said, so excited for Japanese breakfast, best new artist, Nam, three exclamation points. There's no woman in best rock category. You know you could grab both categories if you change the band's name. What are you waiting for? <laughs> three question marks. <laughs> and then she followed it up with, in the music industry, sex sells, but pussy won't even be given a chance. Too much censorship. Damn. And she was the one who discovered that the Alexa was... <laughs> That's incredible. Yeah. She's saying the most mom text ever, which is like <laughs> nudge you in a direction that she wants you to go in, but then followed it up with like something so true and like virtuous. I, I back it. I know. She's a smart woman. Yeah. And I think, unfortunately, like I'm worried that she's right. Sex sells, but pussy will never. No. <laughs> pussy doesn't. <laughs> yeah. I definitely didn't want to like, uh, you know, talk too much about the name in that kind of context but that's perfect yeah uh, and the, you know i guess there is a bunch of bands that have ended up having to change their name not necessarily for censorship reasons and this one's such a loaded censorship too yeah it's like i don't can't think of like a like a, a, a cock euphemism that wouldn't be able to be used yeah that, that's maybe if you had prick in your name but even then i kind of like, use like snl a little bit as my like barometer as to like what can be said okay and i have noticed like they've said dick and I swear someone said pussy on one of the last episodes and it was not beeped out. Well, it's interesting that you're saying this too now because I didn't even really think about how you can't say pussy on like TV. Yeah. Not like, yeah, okay. But I'm pretty sure they did. And I, they, I feel like they used it in the like, you're a pussy way. Ah, okay. Not the which like, you think Exactly. Yeah. Which would be a little bit more censored. Yeah, totally. But it's like pejorative. Yeah, it's weird. I mean, like, we've been a band for 10 years and I definitely thought that by now this wouldn't be an issue at all. Sure. But actually, I think it's gotten worse. Damn, really? Because I was thinking that maybe it would be, you know, the music industry is so, what's the word to use here? Not segmented, but like siloed in a certain sense. You know, because you guys don't necessarily need commercial radio play. No. Uh, you know, there's... The world's changed like yeah, that. Yeah, the world's yeah. changed. So I wonder if it could exist. Um, things that would normally be censored, if they could exist <clears throat> in those kind of, they're not even silos. It's just like another area. But you're thinking you're saying it's worse now. Kind of. I mean, like the AI thing was definitely like, uh, oh shit, this is a completely new challenge. Yeah. To people even being able to play our music, because at first it was like if you asked her to play it, she would just shut off. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Which is a little dramatic, I think. Damn. Um, but now you know, apparently that's fixed, and like I had, you know, I had to have like epitaph, like reach out to Amazon. <laughs> <laughs> oh man i wish i could hear that phone call. i was like really see i was like pissed about it yeah i mean as you should be I yeah mean, it's kind of on so many levels not only is it your thing but it's also like what you can't say <laughs> pussy to am you could say fuck to amazon you know like why not yeah like, any other like um well most other euphemisms that were epithets that we have that would not that that is either of those things. I just don't see what the big deal is. I really don't. No, definitely not. Are you, what, are you going to protect the children? Like, <laughs> that's like the only like moral thing that you could maybe pose. But uh, it, so I had to ask. It always it kind of reminds me of the story of uh, we played Reading and Leeds. And we played on a Friday cool. and a Sunday. And on the Saturday, we flew to Finland to play a festival out in the middle of nowhere. Wow, where that's Everyone awesome. was playing neon strings. You ever see like... Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 First time I ever saw that. Always wondered who would buy those. Finnish people. Finnish (laughs) metalheads. But uh, we were bundled with, basically, our, like, logistics were bundled with Fucked Up, the Canadian band. And they got to the, 
border guard. And when they walked up, and they're like, what is the name of your band? And he was like, fucked up. And like, what's the name of your band? He's like, fucked up. And then the border guard just like smirked and laughed. And I was wondering if that happens to you guys often, like Canada and shit like that. Actually, I would say border guards love us. Yeah. Makes sense. It's like different than, you know, what yeah. else is going on. But one time we went into Canada and um, we were actually, I think this was the tour that um, was the first tour that Bear did with us. We went to Canada and played with Colleen Green, uh, a good friend of mine who actually played my kitchen back in the boulder days no shit yeah very cool. she was the first person i played music with because shortly after she played my kitchen she hit me up and was like yo i'm pretty sure you're musical like i need someone to play bass on this tour i have coming up and i was like not one to like a gift horse in the mouth or whatever yeah, that yeah. expression is and i <laughs> Oh, when yeah. she asked, like, if I was musical, I was like, yeah, I play bass. Yeah. Never played before. <laughs> I was like, oh, yeah, yeah I, I feel like two months is probably enough time to figure it out. Yeah. Did you pull it off? I did, yeah. Yeah, hell yeah. She asked me to go on another tour with her, and then I started Mannequin Pussy. And I was like, oh, like, I could do this. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, Canada. We go to play with Colleen Green, and I think we entered the country first. And then later... Someone who was from the U.S. but came to the show. Mm-hmm. Uh, I forget where we were. Montreal or Toronto. Probably one of those. Someone from Buffalo or some shit. Yeah, exactly. Toronto Someone from like Toronto Buffalo. Um, was like, was like, oh, like when I came to the show, they asked me like what I was doing here. And I was like, I didn't want to say like your name. And I said, oh, I'm going to see Colleen Green. And the border guard was like, oh, yeah, she's playing with Mannequin Pussy tonight. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Yeah. I love that. So, yeah. Hell yeah. I, I always feel, I don't know how it is for you guys, but I always feel like Border Guards, it, it all is about which one you get and what, like, kind of day they're having. Oh, we've gotten fucked, like, every, t- every time we get searched. Yeah. <laughs> but I think they like us. Yeah. They're, maybe they, like, keep you there extra. Like, mm-hmm. this will be fun. Uh, so you guys got some cool shit coming up. Um, the Franklin Music Hall show. On oh New Year's yeah! Eve. Oh my god, I keep forgetting about that show. Right, looks sick. I didn't. Think. I'm going to go on record as saying I did not want to play that show. And the reason I didn't want to play that show. I who talked you into it? I yeah, you know exactly who <laughs> talked me into it. Because um, I didn't want to deal with like having to get gear again. Oh shit! I've just been like, yeah. I, I was like, I was like, if we play a show, that means that I have to like cross this emotional hurdle and wow. face this totally thing because you can't just like roll on a i mean what are you gonna do spend a quarter of the amount of money renting shit that you would yeah, yeah. exactly damn i didn't even think about that that sucks so that was my only re- which is you know like i should get over it and like so i am excited about that nice oh, yeah. is this gonna be out before that happens uh yeah it's out Oop, just throw my pen it is yeah i don't know if the tickets are on sale but it's announced yeah, right. no, I meant like, is this podcast going to oh, be yeah, before it Oh, yeah, I put it out when, like, today, in oh. like an hour. no shit. Yeah, oh, yeah. my God, easy turnaround. Yeah, totally. Take a cue <laughs> from like uh, all the <laughs> rappers and stuff that just like do something and then immediately put it out. Yeah, it's a good mindset to get in. Yeah, we have the New Year's Eve show, which I actually am pretty excited about now. Like, I haven't played a New Year's show in a long time. I haven't had a big New Year's party in a long time. Yeah, two? at least two years. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> at least two years. So it's kind of, you know. Yeah, it's my favorite. Get well, dressed up. I'd say it's like my second favorite holiday or my favorite holiday. It's get so dressed fun. up, get a little fucked up. Yeah, you get dressed up, you get fucked up. And it, all the while, you're driven by the idea that you're about to change for the better. You're like, oh, I have to. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I honestly 
Haven't even thought about that. Yeah. <laughs> that part yet where I forgot about the hobbies part. I'm like, I'm going to get fucked up. Oh, yeah. I'm going to have a good time. Nikki said he's getting a... <laughs> Maybe I shouldn't even say this. It's so ridiculous. <laughs> but he said he's going to get a limo to take us from like <laughs> Franklin Musical to Ortweaves. Oh, I'm we're the doing, shit out of that. That's we're, so good. We're, we're doing like the after party. Oh, nice. And I just That'll like, awesome. I've just like laughed so hard thinking about the image of like a limo going from Franklin Musical to Ortweaves, which is like <laughs> maybe three minutes so away from each other. You're going to have to get him to drive around a little bit. <laughs> Just yeah. up and down Frankfurt. Take it, yeah, I was going to say take it up and down like uh, Spring Garden a few times. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so besides ripping the Band-Aid off with the equipment and doing the um, Electric Factory show, what, uh, what do you got excited about coming up for the next year? Uh, next year is already so busy. Right. And like we're really trying to write a new record and we definitely have some shows. Yeah. So we're doing, um, I'm going to St. Louis for a few days in January to try to write with some other musicians for like a few days. Oh, very cool. Yeah. That's awesome. I haven't tried to do that maybe ever. Yeah. And then... That's kind of scary. Like the idea, it's, it seems like such a, a thing that, you know, you're really good at writing music. It's what you want to do, but there's such a vulnerability there. Like, oh, yeah. Writing, writing with other with people that, you, that you're not used to seeing. like uh, People that you've never written with. Oh, my God. You just kind of hope you can all like get your bodies into one place and write a song in three days. Yeah, totally. I, I'm, I'm into that experiment though. I think like, like what we were talking about was just quickly focusing on something and like letting it be. That's kind of how like the EP was that we put out this year. It was like quickly write songs. Don't think about it too much. Trust what you're doing. Get out of there. Yeah. <laughs> it's my favorite part. As much as I love writing music and I love recording and playing in a band, my favorite thing is like the last day in the studio. Where yeah. Like, oh, yeah. My favorite part of recording is when the album is finished. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Someone else is going to mix it. If they're going to they're gonna do it and then send it to me and I'm going to be even more stoked, most likely. Yeah, I like the getting out part. That's great. So I'm doing that. And then weekend of January 15th, my friend CJ Harvey, who's been on a few tours with us, um, is uh, she's also a photographer. So she's having a gallery showing down there. Oh, very cool. A photography. And she asked me to come down and like DJ it. So I was like, all right, cool. That's awesome. That fucking sounds fun. Hell yeah. And then end of January, we have two fly out shows in LA. So MP's going out to LA for like a little over a week and going to try to write when we're out there. Nice. And then we have a two week tour in February. Have off in March. A couple festivals. April, May, yeah, Europe, June, July, and then it's like already July, and I'm like, wow. oh shit. There, there's like a, a something that's kind of bummed to have your life planned out like that, but at the same time, it's fucking awesome to be like have all these things to know that it's structured, it's ready to go. Yeah, like us too. We have planned out through basically the end of next year, and it's like, yeah, hell yeah, I don't have to worry about it. It's yeah, great. exactly. You're like, oh, this is the thing that like we weren't able to do for almost for 18 months. Yeah. This is the only, this is, that's, that's work. Yeah. <laughs> that's, yeah. Yeah, it is. So yeah. I know that, you know, Epitaph would love for us to not tour and just work on a record, but yeah, we were not able to do it for months. It doesn't work months. that way anymore. So we yeah. Have to go on tour. So you can pay <laughs> you to kind of have to pay your bills. So <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> you you know more than anybody. Go on tour now. Oh, yeah. But thank you so very much for coming on. Uh, I really appreciate it. And I can't wait to hear what you and uh, the rest of uh, Mannequin Pussy comes up with next. Cool. Thanks so much. Thanks so much. All right, thank you so much for joining us today. Intro song is Not the Only One by The Chisel. 
Outro song you're hearing right now is by Pat Breyer of Queen Jesus. All right. We'll see you again next time. Bye. friends. My name is Zach Lupiton. You may know me from the band Dust Bowl Revival, but I also host a music discovery podcast called The Show on the Road. For the last five seasons, I've been able to dive deep and have intimate chats with folks like the Lumineers, Andy DeFranco, Wolfpack, Keb Moe, Lake Street Dive, Bela Fleck, and more. So guess what? After 150 conversations with some of my favorite songwriters from around the world, we are bringing brand new episodes to the Osiris Network. New interviews and intimate acoustic performances will be coming at you this summer. And which episodes are coming next, you ask? I am Zach Goody, the lead singer for the band Smash Mouth. Our band is called Milky Chance. We are based in Berlin. My name is David Shaw. I sing and write songs with my band, The Revivalists. Trust me, these conversations go some wild places. So subscribe to the show on the road on Osiris, and we'll see you soon. Hey, this is Chris Swinney, formerly of the Ataris and currently host of That One Time on Tour, part of the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. Have you ever wondered what it's really like on the road? The highs can be euphoric, but the lows can be crushing. Join me every week as I chat with industry pros about what it's like living out their wildest dream and, in some cases, their worst nightmare. Past guests of the show include members of NoFX, Pennywise, Bad Religion, and more. Listen and subscribe at SoundTalentMedia.com.